Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona filling in for Khalil Ecolona. Close your eyes and picture someone who works in the computer industry. This person is maybe a little nerdy, glasses, short hair, and I'm guessing you imagined a white man. Well, there's a reason for that stereotype. The tech industry is pretty heavily weighted towards white guys. But as Nashville goes through a tech boom, some folks are trying to change that. Later this hour, we'll meet some of the people who are working to make Nashville's tech scene more diverse and in the process, make it a destination for a new kind of tech industry. But first, Vanderbilt University Medical Center found itself under intense scrutiny last week from top Tennessee Republican lawmakers over its transgender health services, including those for trans teens. Here to catch us up is WPLN healthcare reporter Blake Farmer. Hi, Blake. Hello, Nina. So the claims originated from a podcaster named Matt Walsh. He's got a national following, but he actually lives here in Nashville. Can you tell us who he is and how he got the attention of our governor and other Tennessee Republicans? Sure. Well, uh, he he's part of this conservative, uh, you might call far-right media outlet called The Daily Wire. Uh, ben Shapiro is probably the better name um, associated with, with this uh, organization. But uh, Matt Walsh, I mean, even describes himself, you know, not as a journalist, but as a writer, speaker, author, and one of the, uh, in his words, religious rights, most influential young voices. Um, so uh, his folks and he found some videos online of doctors at Vanderbilt talking about the transgender clinic at Vanderbilt, which is relatively new. Um, one clip has them describing the potential financial benefits to the institution for offering these services. Uh, another is a doctor concerned about employees that, that might be allowed to opt out if they have moral objections. Now, Matt Walsh is known for being someone who uses inflammatory language. But what is he accusing Vanderbilt of doing? Is it something illegal or something that he finds morally troubling? Well, it's mostly the latter. Um, you know, I mean, inflammatory language, yeah. I mean, he's using words like um, that these clinics are butchering children. There's certainly a suggestion that somehow the clinic at Vanderbilt's breaking the law, but nothing specific. And, you know, gender affirming care is a, a pretty new specialty. Now, can you explain, for those who may not be familiar with the term, gender-affirming care. What does that mean? Well, I, when, when folks use the term, it, it's really quite a range that they're talking about. Um, it encompasses a lot. You might even call, you know, breast implants for someone who's always identified as a woman, uh, gender-affirming care, but usually that's not what we're talking about. In practical terms, it ranges from taking medication so a boy doesn't begin menstruating as he awaits a, a, a transition, it's hormone therapy. Um, and then, of course, there are surgeries, which may be uh, immediately where most minds go, like mastectomies. Genital surgeries are less common and rare for minors, but that's gender affirming, too. And, of course, counseling goes along with all this. In fact, often a, a mental health professional um, has to sign off before any of the medical or surgical care goes forward. So how has Vanderbilt responded? Well, um, they have responded and, you know, they're not specifically refuting everything, uh, the, the, all these claims that have been sort of thrown out into the, the political sphere, but they 
They do say this original report misrepresented the facts. Uh, They say the clinic has always required parental consent. They say they comply with state law and professional standards. They also say they allow employees to decline to participate in care that they find morally objectionable and do not permit discrimination against that employee for choosing to sit out. Um, But, you know, Vanderbilt, they're really kind of under assault here. They seem to have basically taken down all their websites with information about the transgender clinic and and even other similar institutions uh, in other cities have done the same thing, worried that they might be the next target from this group. Now, you mentioned the laws. What are the laws in Tennessee for those who are under 18 and seeking gender affirming care? I mean, are there certain procedures that they can get with parental consent? Well, um, there are laws on the books that limit some gender-affirming care, including a new one from 2021. Um, Governor Bill Lee did sign a law that essentially says hormone therapy is not standard practice for those with what the law calls gender dysphoria. But there's a key word in there. This only applies to prepubertal minors, prepubescent minors, you might say. And at least according to the ACLU, hormones are almost never prescribed to prepubertal minors. Only after puberty begins uh, is this usually even a discussion. In other words, that law passed in 2021 didn't do much other than state what is already standard of care, which is no hormones before puberty. A much broader ban on gender-affirming care for minors, including a a ban on surgeries, actually failed that same year. So Governor Bill Lee has released a statement. So have several of the state's Republican lawmakers who are floating the idea of more legislation. What would that look like? Well, you know, as I've said, we we did we have seen legislation before uh, last year and and actually this year. And, and, um, you know, uh, Representative John Reagan and Senator Janice Bowling um, introduced uh, a a proposal this year that was a bit dialed back from the all out ban that was proposed last year. Um, But it required that three physicians sign off on any hormones or puberty blockers or surgeries for minors. Um, As for Governor Lee, his statement uh, on this situation says this, quote, we should not allow permanent life altering decisions that hurt children or policies that suppress religious liberties all for the purpose of financial gain. So those are his words that were written on on this. But, you know, uh, how that would would uh, end up in a law will remains to be seen. You know, when you start making laws about this kind of care, you quickly see why it is really fraught. For instance, Hormones are used in kids for for growth problems, Um, and there are surgeries that are needed for those who have genitals that are not correctly formed at birth. I mean, uh, there's a lot going on here. So we've covered other legislation earlier this year, uh, legislation that targeted transgender athletes, students in school. With this latest development, is it cynical to think the matter of trans kids is coming up again because there's an election this fall? Well, um, I'll just say this. It's hard to ignore the timing uh, of election season, but also, especially now that abortion is not quite the winning issue it once was for for these same Republicans. What about the transgender patients who were receiving care already at this clinic? How have they been affected by this controversy? 
you know, actually met with one of these families over the weekend, and, and we'll have a story um, on their experience uh, that'll be broadcast later this week and online at WPLN.org. Uh, you know, what I find so interesting is that it's not like these families have been rushing into this. I mean, sometimes, sure, that their their teens may be in a real hurry, as, as teens are about oh, so many things. <laughs> But these families very much have their own concerns about starting their kids on powerful hormones uh, that in some ways can make permanent changes, um, but not to mention the far more permanent surgeries. And But they're dealing, they're balancing all this. They're, they're dealing with teens who are having massive mental health challenges, say, as a, as a boy who feels like he's in the body of a girl and growing or having a monthly cycle. It's this constant reminder that's so painful. And these parents know the stats all too well about how prone trans teens are to mental health challenges, including the very high rate of suicide. Well, that's Blake Farmer, WPLN's health care reporter. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Nina. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about one Nashville training program that has helped make our city's pool of tech talent a little more diverse. Do you work in tech? What do you think of the diversity in Nashville scene? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. Nashville's tech scene is growing, and that means a lot of jobs for people with the right skills. Learning those skills is not always easy or accessible, but the Nashville Software School has been working on this for a while now. About two weeks ago, NSS celebrated 10 years in business. Later this year, the nonprofit coding bootcamp will graduate its 2,000th student. Our producer, Steve Harouche, was there to check out the festivities. All 2,000 graduates may not be here, but it's still a pretty big crowd at the Nashville Software School, and everyone seems to be having a good time. There's a bar set up here in the main room, and down the hall, there's cornhole and ping pong. Big startup energy. And it's so loud that it takes a while to get everyone's attention, even for the founder of the school, John Ward. The sooner you all come down here, the sooner we get back to the food and the beer. It's presentation time. This is a pretty big day. Brenda Haywood is here from the mayor's office. She's got a proclamation. It says, whereas Nashville Software School, founded in 2012 as the nation's first nonprofit software boot camp, increases access and opportunity to tech careers for motivated adults with an aptitude for tech. And whereas through its commitment to increase diversity of Middle Tennessee's tech community by enrolling 58% of students in 2021 who are members of the underserved group in tech. And whereas- There are a lot more whereases. In the end, it all boils down to this from Mayor John Cooper that he does do hereby, hereby designate, hear me now, y'all ready? <laughs> I love it, I love it. Do hereby designate 
that September the 10th of 2022 as Nashville Software School Day throughout Nashville and Davidson County. And give yourself. This software school has come a long way. Ten years ago, it didn't even have its own building. But John Wark had a crazy idea. We had the crazy idea that if we were careful, we could bootstrap into a sustain sustainable nonprofit school. Huh, crazy, yes. And even more crazily, we believe we could operate sustainably if only half of our students paid us up front. The other half? can defer most of their payments until after they graduate and score their first tech job. The goal is to lower the economic barriers for people who might not otherwise be able to take on the cost. Our mission has also always included opening doors to tech careers for individuals from groups traditionally underrepresented in, in the technology industry. Last year, 58% of our students were members of one or more groups that are underrepresented in tech careers. They were black people, females, Hispanics, veterans, or some combination of all of the above and a lot more. Pretty much literally, we move the needle on the diversity in our tech community every time we graduate a cohort at NSS. Moving the needle on diversity in Nashville's tech scene. That's what we're here to talk about today. And I'd like to introduce my first guest. Nissa McKinney is a software developer and a graduate of NSS Cohort E16. Nissa, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Nissa, you graduated from the Nashville Software School after getting a computer science degree from the University of Memphis. Yes. How did NSS compare to your undergrad experience? It was totally different. Um, in a traditional setting, it's books and theories and you read chapters 8 through 13, and you make a, have a test on it. But at NSS, is hands-on. And it's always somebody there to help you, to guide you. You had alumni that would be in the Slack channels. They would be there if you needed help. It was amazing. Well, what about who was there in the room at Memphis versus NSS? Oh, different. Yeah. Um, I had Dr. T., as an instructor, and I had um, the teacher's assistant, Trinity and Aja, and they both were black women. Never in my life did I think I would see that. Well, and even as I understand at Memphis, I mean, the student body in your classes, I mean. No, at Memphis, if I wasn't the only woman in class, I was the only person of color. And some classes I was both the only woman and a person of color. Well, from your perspective, what's the difference in a class being hard because the subject matter is challenging versus the difficulty of feeling like the odd one out in the classroom? Well, I feel like um, in uh, with me, I feel like I am holding a race of people. If I don't do well, I'm letting down all black people or women, all women, and it's hard. You know, you're there. You like I have to succeed because if I don't, now they're going to think all black people can't make it or all women can't make it. So it it becomes tough. That's that's a heavy weight. It for is. One person it's very like heavy. Caring. Yes, it is very heavy. And how did that feel at NSS for you? Coming in, I and the thing is, I was so shocked um, that I almost thought it was wrong. I was like. <laughs> 
it can't be this many black people in one class. You know, as teachers and TAs, because I'm so used to not seeing it. And, you know, I almost had to take a step back and was like, I don't think we all can be here at the same time. You know, we need to spread out. And that's a real place. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real place. And I was, it was so awesome to see them. And they they not only represented um, women and women of color, they knew their craft. They knew it backwards and forwards. And it was just amazing. Well, if you felt that extra weight yes. in the other classrooms at Memphis, yes, that must have been a real weight off. It was. Yes, it was. It was much different because um, I didn't feel like I was carrying everything. As a matter of fact, I didn't feel like I was carrying anything. I was a student, which I should just be a student. Did you feel like you could really focus more on the work then? Absolutely. Absolutely. My next guest was one of Nissa's teachers at NSS. Dr. Teresa Vasquez is the lead instructor for the school's evening web development program. Dr. T, thanks for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, as a black woman working in tech, does Nissa's story resonate with you? It does, and it also feeds my soul. I'm over here almost in tears listening to Nissa talk about her experience. Um, because that's why I've been doing this for so long. Uh, My vision has always been to create such an inclusive space that race, gender, the differences that divide us in tech no longer exist in the environment. And to hear her talk about it the way that she did makes me feel like that work has not been in vain because that has been what we've been trying to do all along. So Nissa, thank you for that. You, You really blessed me today with that. Thank you for being awesome. Do you hear similar stories from other students who come from underrepresented backgrounds? Uh, you know, the stories, I think, are, are similar in that the experiences that we all have as uh, black women um, in the tech environment and just in the, the classroom spaces. But I think we we don't really articulate very well the, the feeling that Nessa just really clearly articulated about, you know, what happens when we come into a space and we are not only represented, but we're also um, like the people who we're looking up to actually look like us as well. Um, those conversations are things that I started having, you know, early in my career, about 20 years ago, my career started and just wondering like, why aren't we here, right? And so, yes, to your question, those conversations are clear. Um, but to the point now that Nissa has just made, like they're not as often happening in the spaces that you know I try to occupy because I try to make that invisible because that's the only way you can really learn and become a craftsperson is if all of the things that seek to make you fail or the things that we think would help make us fail are no longer there, right? That they're no longer things that would you know block us. Um, so. That's all like that's just my hope. And so just hearing it articulated, like I said, it's just it feels very good. <laughs> it feels very good. And so just a moment ago, when you first started saying what was different about NSS, the first thing out of your mouth was to mention Dr. T. Yes. What was it like to walk in the room and see her? It was amazing. And when I saw like that she was so vibrant. Like you first, she was loud, you know, she (laughs) was just the energy was just like on a scale of one to 10, Dr. T was 7 million. (laughs) It was amazing, amazing. And she made me feel just so welcome. And it was Mm -hmm. like, it's okay. 
you know, it's okay. I can do this because I have reservations with going back to school because um, University of Memphis was so hard because I I was the only woman or person of color there. It was, I was terrified of cold. I would not go back. And I was just like, I can't do it. It was hard. And to go in, I said, I looked at her and I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do, I will do this. Was that your first time having a black instructor in a tech class? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and this is after getting a computer science degree. I went to a four-year school. Absolutely. Yes. How important is it to see yourself yourself in your instructors or your mentors? It is very important. Um, like I said, I shouldn't have to carry that weight. You know, I should just be able to be a student and focus on, you know, the what I'm learning, you know, the plans and everything. And um, it's invisible. But to have other people represented, you almost feel like, okay, I can be a student. I don't have to carry all this by myself. It is very important. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour with Nissa McKinney and the instructor Nashville Software School students know as Dr. T. Teresa Vasquez. Dr. T, earlier we heard John Wark, the founder of the school, talking about efforts to diversify the tech pipeline. How diverse was NSS when you got there? <laughs> um, you know, there were a lot of women. Um, that were there. Actually, I graduated from Nashville Software School as well. I was actually laid off from a uh, front end. I was an engineer for about 15 years, and then I got laid off um, and was really trying to figure out, find my place similar to Nissa's story. Like, there was just no one around me. And so I started to question, you know, after the layoff, do I even belong here? Um, and I found Nashville Software School. And when I came, you know, there were a lot of women, um, but there weren't very many, in my experience, people of color, as much as, you know, we see today um, in the school. And so it's really, really exciting to see that, you know, John's vision is coming to fruition. You know, you're starting to see not only differences uh, or diversity in, you know, race or gender or, you know, things like that, but also in neurodiversity, um, you know, that because that's that's a level of differentiation that we don't usually make when we think about, you know, diversity in a classroom or diversity amongst people in tech as well, which is something that I like to focus on, too, is that like when we make a safe space or or brave space, because really safety is, you know, um, is subjective. So like we, we create this, these brave spaces where people can come in and be as vulnerable as they are and they can come and be themselves. We're not just focusing on black women or women or, you know, P P Latina women or, you know, or men or whatever. We're literally focusing on making an environment that's conducive to the type of diversity that we want to see. And so when we meet that need, not only are we making the need for each individual, you know, person, but it also just creates an environment where everyone can come as they are. And, you know, doing it for, um, you know, just just making it so that it's it's safe or brave. You know, people can show up and be brave and be themselves really impacts us all. Um, my white students actually reach out to me more often than my diverse students and say, this was an environment that I'll not know that I'll ever experience again. Mm. But it's changed my perspective of who I can be in tech and the things that I'm responsible for when I get a job, which is really ultimately what we're trying to do. Right. Um, that's how we're going to change the face of tech. Well, it sounds like you're encouraged by the school's diversity efforts. Um, 
Yes. Do you think focusing on the pipeline is enough? I mean, I, I feel like that's a good start. You know, I, I think that's a start. And, and the thing about it is, is I also feel like there's not really a pipeline issue. I feel like there are enough diverse creators, technical creators out there to fill the needs. I think that the problem is, is that when I look in, I don't see anyone who looks like me. And the people who are making the selections for people, right, um, aren't filling with people who look like me. So that's why we have this issue. And so I think it's a greater conversation that needs to be had is, you know, what do we want to see and what are our expectations of the people, you know, um, that we want to fill these positions. And I think once we start having a serious, open, real conversation about that, I think, you know, that's when the issue will start to resolve itself. Pipeline isn't, isn't the issue I don't feel like. <laughs> Anissa, you just graduated a few months ago. Yes. You're out in the workforce, the tech workforce now. I'm curious how your experience at NSS has helped you. Um, it has helped me um, to embrace code that um, you can fix it. You can't really, I mean, you can mess things up, but you can fix it. Um, and to strive to do better and be the best. And as Dr. T just said, um, I did question, am I supposed to be here? Now I know I am supposed to be here and I am here. Not too long ago, the founder of Girls in Tech said, tech is not a 25 to 35 year old white dude in a hoodie, right? It's everybody. That's a quote. And she also encouraged people to move to Nashville. Dr. T, you're involved in the local chapter of GIT. What do you say to that? Um, you know, Nashville is kind of full, but <laughs> it, it, or at least that's how I feel, because, you know, it's hard getting anywhere now. But if we're talking about bringing people in who carry that mindset and that vision for what tech can be, then absolutely like open the gates, um, because that's really what we need. You know, in Nashville, we're growing as a tech mecca almost, you know, um, and I would love to see us, you know, represent what we the things that what girl, you know, the girls in tech founder said, you know, I, I just feel like it's so important that we have those voices um, and it's clear because we want to be, you know, not only a place that people come to to get into tech, but also, you know, what the future of tech is going to look like. Um, and so if that's what we're doing, then, yeah, please, by all means, come on in, join us. <laughs> you know, diversifying the workforce clearly has an intrinsic value in making sure that everyone has ample opportunity for these jobs. Mm -hmm. But I'm also curious to hear from both of you. What would you say a tech company gains when more women and people of color are part of their team? Dr. Dr. T, what would you say? I think we gain a different perspective and it really brings forth innovation um, and creativity and, and ways of thinking that we really have not even discovered, right? Even for myself, like, you know, haven't been in tech for so long. Um, sometimes, you know, you start to, to think the way everybody else thinks because you think that's the way you're supposed to think because nobody looks like you, right? But when you start to bring people in who are different, you start to get different opinions and different ideas on how to solve problems, which really makes better products in general. Um, I've experienced that even on the teams that I lead. My teams that I lead are as diverse as the classrooms that I teach. And the the things that we're able to do and the ways that we're able to solve problems are 
I'm learning or seeing for the first time and it's exciting. It makes coming to the job exciting, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so that hoodie, I, I mean, I wear hoodies. I'm a black <laughs> girl in a, in a hoodie, but, um, but at least I feel like, you know, my voice can be heard. Right. And so, the, yeah, it just, it, to me, it just makes better products. Ultimately. And so what do you think? I agree um, with her. Um, it does bring a different perspective, even um, in some of the naming conventions, because, you know, in the past they've had, you know, named things that probably shouldn't have those names. And to have somebody in the room that could speak up and say, hey, guys, girls or whomever, let's think about that name. You know, um, even when you're testing things, you know, I I will be or this person will be of a different race or a different gender. So they may look at things a little differently and it will make the best product because everyone would be represented. Well, Dr. Teresa Vasquez teaches at the Nashville Software School. Nissa McKinney is a graduate of the program and now working as a junior software developer. Thanks so much to both of you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll move from school to the workplace and talk with Nashville women about life on the leading edge of diversifying the city's tech boom. What do you think could make Nashville's tech scene more inclusive? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. Before the break, we heard from two black women from the Nashville Software School, one a graduate and one an instructor. But what's it like to actually work in the field? And how diverse is that field? To get a better understanding, I'd like to welcome our next guests. Elise Cambernack is the CEO of the Greater Nashville Technology Council. Tracy Snowden is the founder of Apto Global, and Lena Winfrey is the co-founder of the data consulting firm Rachel and Winfrey and vice president of Blacks and Technology. Lena, I'd like to start with you. What's it been like as a black woman founding a tech company here in Nashville? It's been a journey. <laughs> I definitely um, feel like there is a lot to say that even in the short amount of time, probably I can't get to. But I will say it has been challenging, but it's been, um, I guess, very, it's been great. <laughs> um, it's when we first started Rachel and Murphy, um, we noticed that all of our clients were not from Nashville. Nobody. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was like, okay, D.C., New York, you know, everywhere around the United States, Nashville, no. Um, and we didn't realize what it was. But we started getting really active in speaking and talking and doing a lot of work in the community. Um, and we found something even more disturbing, that we were literally the only ones. Um, we felt alone. Um, it was mostly us. Just, so you're yeah. saying you were the only... Black, Black women. women in the field. <laughs> in the field. Wow. And the more we spoke and the more places we went... It was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so that's what prompted um, my business partner, Holly Rachel, to reach out and decide to do Blacks in Technology Nashville, which is a global organization. But we started the Nashville chapter here last year. So basically, you're getting involved in the effort to bring more black and brown folks into the industry. Tell me more about that decision to get involved. Yeah. So, again, once we saw that we were the only ones really 
representing. Um, we knew that this wasn't true. We knew that this was, there had to be more talent, more black talent in Nashville, Tennessee than mm-hmm. what was represented at the different conferences and the different places we were speaking and even in the businesses that we were um you know, socializing with, et cetera. So that's when we did what we did and did Blacks in Technology Nashville. And, oh, the response has been overwhelming. When we first started um, last year in March, um, we had zero, of course, nobody. (laughs) Now we have over 600 members. Wow. It was a outpouring of individuals who came out and were literally like, hey, we're glad you're here. Now we can talk. Now we can network. Now we can advance each other and and see where the gaps are and figure out what we can do to make a better space for Blacks in technology. And are these people who are working in the area of the tech sector and just kind of had <laughs> been drowned out by the, the sea of non-black faces? That's correct. Okay. Um, we kind of work in silos. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time we put our heads down, do our job and go home. But what we discovered is it's great to have representation available for everybody to see so that you can further that work. And we've done so. We actually last year we did actually the beginning of this year, we did a, a local tech um, initiative where we literally got a bunch of nonprofit uh, clinicians together um, from all clinics in all statewide Tennessee to do data analytics for free um, so that they can understand the outpouring of information coming in from the pandemic and all the other things that come with being a, you know, a clinic, a nonprofit clinic. Um, We wanted to see if this would help further the work in terms of why COVID's different for people of color and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And it was huge. Another outpouring. They all came out and it was 75 percent women who came out to do this data analytics training, which, again, something we are always told women don't do these things. Well, if a woman is representing it, then people feel like they can do it. So that was just one of the major things we were able to do. Elise, your job with the Tech Council involves looking at Nashville's scene as a whole. How diverse is the workforce right now? Well, uh, the diver- the workforce really today, if I look at two different parameters, the, the gender and then the, the race, uh, we have 51% women in the middle Tennessee area in terms of population. If you look at jobs alone, women make up 50.8% jobs. So workforce to uh, population is equal, but in the tech sector, women only make 40.8% of the tech workforce. It's a growth from prior years. Uh, The tech industry has grown 52% in the last five years. Well, it's actually 2016 to 2021. Uh, And women have advanced a lot more, but we obviously had another 10% to go, right, to match in tech uh, what the women-men balance is. And in terms of non-white population, the Middle Tennessee area uh, is comprised of 29% non-white population. Well, the tech workforce, well, the job workforce in general is 26% non-white. And then when you go to tech, it's only 22%. Mm. So again, this is a little bit of a gap, but much, uh, much better than if we were to look five years ago. Thanks to work, um, you know, at the Nashville Software School or Black in Tech or Women in Technology and other organizations in town. Tracy, what do you think is needed to make these jobs more welcoming to people who haven't felt invited into the tech sector? Tracy, we got you. you know, there. My com- oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes. Can go you ahead. Hear me now? 
Okay, great. <laughs> no, thank you for asking. Um, you know, I actually, my company is a technology company, but it's a little bit meta because we specifically help uh, our mission is to help people to adapt to life anywhere around the globe. And um, a big part of adaptation is finding your people, finding your tribe, finding a, a welcome uh, landing. And so, you know, one of the things that I believe is needed is awareness, uh, just simply awareness of, of, you know, not only what jobs are available in Nashville, Tennessee, um, but specifically, will I be able to, you know, find other people um, like me, and will I be welcomed by those who maybe didn't grow up like me, or don't think like me, or don't look like me? Um, and that's one of the missions of APTO is to is to help to support uh, with that awareness. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host Khalil Ecolono. We're talking this hour about Nashville's growing tech industry, and Elise, you were just talking about the diversity of the mm -hmm. tech workforce here. What does that look like moving up the ranks into more senior positions? Those numbers drop uh, yeah. dramatically. We don't have exact statistics that drop. So we have a job report that we publish every month in partnership with MTSU that uh, look at 26 job categories. And the management levels are really uh, all um, into one level, but it drops to really grows to 70% male for sure uh, in all management category. And then into a lower double digit for the non-white population. So as you move up the rank, you're right. In the leadership development pipeline, uh, we have quite a bit of work to do. Uh, and we just need to take what the wonderful things National Software School does and other organizations in town that we work with, we need to take it to the next level and help, help over time those more junior uh, people and people like Nisa to uh, to join our leadership ranks. What do you think is that that hurdle, that speed bump for people that are trying to move up the ranks? I will say, well, there there are multiple factors involved in moving up the 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 ranks. Uh, number one is depending on the companies that you work for, there might be programs that are available for you or not in a support system that you might have inside your company. It's uh, almost um, uh, a cliche to say the larger the company, the larger the leadership development program, and therefore the more inclusive it will be. Mm -hmm. If there's a scarcity of resources for those employers and the employees, then those scarce resources will not be distributed equally across the entire uh, group of employees. So the larger their their larger pool of resources, the larger the more inclusive it will be. Um, and then for the smaller ranks, I think we need to continue to develop those programs within uh, within our community. Uh, Nash, uh, the NTC has had an elite program for six years. It's Emerging Leader in Tech. And it's a cohort that we uh, develop every year. So we have 25 to 30 graduates every year. We just need to do more of those because those programs are going to be focused a lot on attracting and really employing or I would say enrolling a more diverse population by focusing on women, minorities, vets, and things like that. Tracy, do you think there is a real commitment to diversity in Nashville's tech scene? <laughs> um, loaded question, but um, <laughs> I mean, I'm so encouraged just to be on on this show with so many phenomenal women today and to hear um, the evolution of the statistics that I'm hearing, you know, since, since I started five years ago, um, in tech. So that's, uh, at least at the executive level, I was, I was working in a startup prior to that. Um, 
you know, I think that there, we are all on a spectrum of growth and awareness. And so there are some individuals um, in Nashville who are just, you know, 100% committed to, to seeing these things move forward. And, and there are others who are a little further back on that journey in terms of, um, you know, more, more lip service or, you know, maybe not even sure what to do or what initiatives to take. I, I am excited to see that um, DEI initiatives in the United States have, you know, increased. We're now up to about 83%. Um, and, and I'd be curious, I'm not sure if Elise knows uh, what, what percentage of that is, is represented here in Nashville. Um, but I do think it's a spectrum for sure. How about you, Lena? Do you see a real effort to open the door to more folks? Again, I have to agree. It's very, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> happening um, slowly but surely. But I do believe it's our job to make to push this needle forward, if you will. And again, I'm I'm a fellow at a data and technology fellow at Fisk University, and I know what we've been trying to do and how we've been trying to convey, hey, we're here. But it wasn't until I did Blacks and Technology that we were able to even start doing more initiatives. Right now we're doing one in the school where black and brown children are predominantly not into computer science or not into tech. And I don't know if you know this, but NAACP came out with a big article stating that we're going backwards instead of forwards. Literally, the numbers are backwards in terms of how many black individuals who are going into computer science. So it is really our job to to buckle in and do that. We did a hackathon with the kids, 150 of them, juniors at Republic High School this really Friday, and we saw them enjoying tech, which is mm. the hardest thing to try to get these students to, to enjoy tech and to love it and understand there's more to it than just, you know, what you see on TV, you know, you can do this too. And I think that's our premise is trying to make sure that everybody knows that this is something you can do. Elise, what do you hear from executives? I mean, do you get the sense that diversity is really valued? Mm-hmm. It is. It is very valued. And I think most of the executives uh, I work with are really started to think about diversity as a pattern of behavior and bringing it into the culture instead of making it really, let's make an intentional program to bring in diversity. It's more of inclusivity right now to say, I want to broaden and, and back to the talent diversity and the talent pipeline. If we want to bring more talent into our companies, we need to broaden it and make it more accessible for the diverse candidate. But it's not necessarily a special task force to look at, well, let's focus on this kind of population today. It becomes part of their DNA, and which is really exciting. And when you talk about accessibility, do you mean with the, the training or just knowing that the jobs are there? Or is this more like making a, a, a workplace where people feel they belong? Um, I will say it is both. So there's uh, definitely a lot of effort. And Tracy, I wish I had time to research the numbers that um, you threw at me, the 83% DNI initiative, because I know most of our large uh, members at NTC do have very strong DNI initiative that are uh, creating a culture that is very inclusive, make it a fun place to work with for all pe- people of all origins and all race and colors. And you could see a lot of uh, efforts in this goes along with a broader topic of employee engagement. It's not just about being a diverse culture, but how do you make your work for your workplace the best workplace for your employee and have everybody embrace that culture? So there's that. And then when you look at access to talent, 
and uh, and being bringing awareness of where that talent pipeline is. That's where you start tapping into more programs that whether it's NTC and others are working with the tech talent creators, the education system on providing that pipeline and making those that younger generation accessible to the workforce. And that's, to me, that's one of the gap that I'm selfishly trying to solve for members is how to connect that because they have the employers have the program, the educators have their own program as well, and they know how to bring the talent. How do we bridge that so that those diverse talent have better access to job opportunities. I mean, what's the scope of like the role that your organization, the Technology Council, can take to help address this issue of diversity? Well, we've started a few different initiatives. Some of them have been um, going on for years. Uh, so we're talking about uh, in the previous segment, Dr. T was saying there's not a shortage of tech talent or tech talent pipeline. But I agree with Rina, there is uh, additional work that we need to do to give spark, give the spark of tech to our younger generation and then help them make their decision so that they can choose an education pathway that works for them. So the scope of what we do to bridge it goes all the way to working in the classroom. We have programs that reach our middle school students. Um, uh, Metro Action Commission uh, organizes a summer camp for us. Uh, those are uh, older siblings of Head Start students or children in Nashville. 25 of them, they spend two months learning to code. We take them on road trips to visit our member companies. They got to take away, take apart iPhones. They got to see how to crush a hard drive. So they got excited about technology and the success is huge because those students, the parents at the end of the of the closing ceremony came to us and said, how do we keep them in tech? So we're bringing the spark and then we're providing those what we call traveling tech days into the high school. So now those children might be uh, studying computer science in high school, but they don't know what it looks like in the real world. So right. we take them to the real world and we work with a lot of our programs are grant funded. So we work with more rural counties or with minorities and uh, an underserved population in Metro Nashville. So you're talking about students and, and Lena, you've talked about your work with students as well. <clears throat> when you talk with them and they seem concerned that there might not be really a place for them to belong in the mm -hmm. tech world. What do you say? Yeah, so we get this a lot. Um, matter of fact, I just left them <laughs> to come here. Um, we have 150 juniors that we're literally in the curriculum right now teaching them tech. And we're teaching them a survey of data, a survey of coding, a survey of a lot of technology so that they can know they do fit. Mm -hmm. um, I think usually one thing is pushed on the students. Maybe it's coding or maybe it's robotics. Or, but we want them to see that they can do all of it. And a lot of them feel like, well, you know, nobody's going to really hire me anyway in this. And nobody, you know, some of the students I've known have been coding f since middle school. Um, and we're taking that and we're trying to, like, give them more access to bigger companies. For example, with the Hackadot, Belmont came out. Assurian was there. Amazon was there. We had as many people as you can think of coming all together just to see the kids, to be involved with the kids, to show them, hey, look, everybody can do tech. Everybody's here to help you. You can do this. There's several different pipelines you can take. I think getting in there and getting your hands dirty is what it's going to take for our students to realize there is a spark and this is something I can do and it is fun. Tracy, in terms of the culture of the tech sector, 
What do you think needs to change that you're not seeing addressed yet? In terms of the the internal culture of the tech sector? Yeah. As in... And making this a welcoming place where people can belong. Well, you know, I I think there's, gosh, there's there's so much interesting things happening in the media where it's, it's a blame game constantly, you know, who's, uh, who's responsible for what. And, And I think one of the things that's so needed in technology is just to remember that it is first and foremost, um, a neutral entity. It's something that can be used um, for good and to lift up society or or not. Um, And so part of the culture of tech, I think, needs to be embracing, you know, digital humanity and really thinking about, you know, how would you behave in an offline capacity? You know, how, how can that be translated into an online capacity? Because, you know, those of us who are um, founding and running and creating in the technology industry are influencers for the whole world because, you know, we're never going back to pre-internet isolation. We engage socially online. We find jobs online. We find our schools online, you know, um, and and then we take that um, into the real world. We have to find that common ground and, and that, why, that way to, to connect. So I think, um, you know, really strong governance in, in the culture of, of technology and in the technology industry is, is critically important to setting that tone that filters down um, into everything else. Well, that was Tracy Snowden. Founder of Apto Global, Lena Winfrey with Blacks and Technology, and Elise Kamernak of the Nashville Technology Council. Thank you to all of you for joining us today for this discussion of bringing more diversity into the tech world as Nashville sees this tech boom going on right now. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, when it comes to housing, what does affordable really mean? This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche and Rose Gilbert. Our digital league is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Julie Lilliston, Amy Harris, and Aja Washington. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona in for Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.